Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Torrance Witherspoon. And I'm Terrell Couch. And this week, we are Dangerously Likely to be Queer. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. Like we said in the opening, this week we are having our Pride episode, so happy Pride Month. I'm going to kick this off with a story from our CBS affiliate in the Bay Area. On, San- in, on Monday, San Francisco Mayor London Breed announced she would not participate in this year's Pride Parade over the organizer's refusal to lift a ban blocking LGBTQ plus peace officers in uniform from taking part. Breed's decision came hours after the San Francisco Police Officers Pride Alliance issued a news release critical of the ban and organizers' refusal to lift it. The San Francisco Police Officers Pride Alliance and LGBTQ plus members of the San Francisco Sheriff's Office issued a joint statement in response to the San Francisco Pride Committee asking police officers to attend the parade without their uniforms. LGBTQ plus firefighters with the San Francisco Fire Department also signed the statement and said they would not walk in the parade, the, the Pride Parade, in solidarity with the city's law enforcement officers. The statement read, quote, the board of SF Pride offered only one option, that LGBTQ plus peace officers hang up their uniforms, put them back in the closet, and march in civilian attire. The alliance said in a news release, additionally, quote, the San Francisco Pride Committee has asked the LGBTQ plus peace officers to go back in the closet, end quote. The officers and firefighters also argued that Pride organizers would not make similar actions against would not take similar actions against other groups that regularly participate in Pride, such as the drag and kink communities. The mayor announced her support for the alliance, quote, I support the LGBTQ plus members of our public safety departments who are calling on the Pride board to reverse its ban on uniformed members of law enforcement from participating in the Pride parade. Breed said in a statement, continuing, quote, I love the Pride Parade and what it means for our LGBTQ plus community and for our city. It's one of my favorite events of the year. However, if the Pride board does not reverse its decision, I will join our city our city's public safety departments, they're not participating in the Pride Parade, end quote. She called her decision a, quote, difficult one, and said, went on to say, I've made this very hard decision in order to support those members of the LGBTQ plus community who serve in uniform. Breed also stressed that she would continue to participate in other activities commemorating Pride Month, saying, quote, I'm hopeful that the members of the Pride Board will change their position on this matter, but even if they don't, we will still celebrate Pride throughout the month of June in San Francisco. I will raise the Pride flag over City Hall and participate in numerous other Pride activities that are happening, and I will remain committed to advancing policies that serve the LGBTQ community, building on programs like creating the nation's first guaranteed income program for the transgender people and funding our efforts to get to zero new HIV infections. Terrell, this is um, certainly like I would say a very uh, a nuanced, a, a complex issue that requires some nuance when discussing it. Otherwise, I think it, either way you end up tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess generally I, I'm kind of like wondering what your thoughts on are like how do we balance between supporting the spirit of pride um, through supporting this ban of law enforcement uniforms, seeing as you know to give a quick history as we discussed last year this month that you know pride. Uh, month in June was specifically born out of the the riots at Stonewall Inn um, that were in a response to police brutality um, of LGBTQ plus folks in in across the country, but specifically in New York in 1969 um, in late June. So um, it does seem that that would go directly against the spirit of Pride by you know allowing uniformed officers. And I know this is not new; they completely have been a yeah. part of Pride for many many years. I know that this is a, obviously a discussion that is beca- that is coming from post 2020 the george floyd um, murders and the discussions around policing at that time because that is when the board initially put this um policy in place however because of the pandemic this pride was not the pride parade was not held in person in 2021 so this is the first time we would be have a a pride parade where this policy would be taking effect so you know you know but also we have lgbtq plus brothers and sisters who serve in uniform who have taken had made the intentional decision in their life, you know, no matter how your feelings on it are, to join um, law enforcement agencies as a way to change that kind of culture in a way to make them more inclusive of minority communities specific to the, L- specific to the LGBTQ plus community. And so as much as you can, you know, make a lot of, I think, very valid arguments as to which is more important here, given the uh, um, impetus for pride being, you know, a a protest against police brutality, um, but it it is hard to level with people who identify and are part of the community and serve in those agencies who would who are also proud of both sides of their identity. Um, but but I would say I want to call out specifically here um, their statement talking about you know they wouldn't they wouldn't take a similar policy against other members or other groups that attend Pride like say the kink communities um, and drag communities. But here's the thing. 
that really misses it really misses the point it is tone deaf it it, it does seem that they're not being like because here's the thing like their feelings are valid i know they want to go they are members of the community but mm-hmm. without acknowledging at all the role of the institution of policing in one it's it's brutality against lgbtq plus people but the impetus for the exact thing that we're celebrating which is pride month in reference here about this parade yeah it's tone deaf it speaks to an inability to acknowledge the problem what are your thoughts yeah i mean it's obviously isn't an easy question to tackle or jump in on but there is this emblematic piece of that peerist space right of I mean, off air, we were talking about binaries and I feel like this kind of falls into that crux. Like, yes, knowing the history of Stonewall, knowing the the fight that our queer community has had and how it has run in um, contest with policing and those institutions, it is hard to still alienate and say, well, because you decided to be a cop you can't show up or be a part of this moment that's supposed to be accepting and inclusive um, as yourself. Like there is that feeling of er, I guess is the best word I can think of that is it, it doesn't sit well. And especially owning my own bias here, coming as a bisexual person um, and seeing that happen in the community in so many other ways of, not fully seeing people as who they are or not wanting to see aspects of people because it doesn't fit in whatever the binary might be for that moment. So I really struggle here because uh, I think everything you said turns a spot on and, and hits the exact point of the matter that knowing the history of this and knowing the way institutions have historically held down queer communities, it, it doesn't feel right and it doesn't sit right. But at the same time, recognizing that there are members of the community who join those institutions in a hopes to make them better. It also doesn't sit right to make them feel alienated. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's, I'm not going to make any apologies about, you know, bringing up the very valid points on both sides of this argument, not as an, as as to be diplomatic, not to be a scapegoat, uh, but rather to, make this argument about like nuance needed in at every turn in our in our political discussions and our um social our discussions on social issues because they aren't right like i i was just thinking about like we as a queer community rightfully have pushed our general our greater society uh to challenge their own beliefs to be more inclusive to be more accepting to be um to to allow for lgbtq plus people to have space in this world and, and, and as long uh, along with other marginalized communities um so why are we not able to have a reflective conversation about the changing world around us and the members of our community who exist in spaces that, yes, historically have been, um, and and yes, historically and currently, that's a very important point, still been toxic to our community and harmful to our community, especially our trans brothers and sisters. Um, but I just, I think that we cannot continue to operate from this political space where we're not having nuanced conversations about very complex issues that are not black or white in any way. Right. Because like you said, there is no valid argument to be made about saying you, an LGBTQ plus member of, of a uh, law enforcement agency, don't get to have pride in the work you do every day, especially if you feel like it is an honest, good faith intention that you're doing it. And you are trying to create a safer, better world that you also don't, you know, get to, carry that pride of who you are into um the pride parade in a world where Absolutely. corporate pride is out of control right people who get to go to work and have their company sponsor pride parade floats and different things while their company continues to donate to you know uh you know political um parties and organizations that 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 fight against lgbtq plus rights at the same exact time right so like let's not act like we're having some laser focus on the hypocrisy that takes place at pride each year and so I just think it's really important for us to keep that all under scope when we're talking about this. Personally, I want to make this final point because it's something that's in that was in the story that I didn't mention that is really, really important to that nuance, which is that they the um, Pride Board did make an explicit statement, you know, clarifying like we never said that they can't wear, you know, SFPD or SFFD, you know, like like altogether a organized shirt that you know that identifies them as police officers, identifies them as firefighters. Like, why do you have to wear your uniform? You know what I mean? Um, like, you know, we're no one's saying you don't get to have pride. That's a part that, you know, is not missing, that you don't get to have pride. I know that the, the, that the conversation is much larger because it's really less about 
what you wear to the pride that day and more about what is this relationship between the LGBTQ plus community pride parade and, and the uh, law enforcement agencies that have historically been oppressive to us. Um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, that it is important for people to understand that they are not being asked to completely shed their identity as a police officer or as a member of a law enforcement agency. They've been given other ways outside of their specific uniform to express that. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I think you also bring up a really great point, too, of we need to be more thoughtful of the hypocrisy that comes out of this because we do know, and this will probably be a tangent, um, there are corporations that will be taking advantage of June as they always do, and we will see the gradual changes of their social medias and all of those spaces. Um, and while there is that nuance that we have with law enforcement, we do have to be more thoughtful that there is similar power with those institutions, especially, um, of course, I have to bring politics into this too a little bit, especially as we're watching a conservative party actively attack our queer community. We, we can have these type of nuanced conversations in the space the same way we're having about um, law enforcement to really truly say and highlight um, we're not going to support Disney or, I mean, they're the easy one to pick on right now as they've shifted with Florida. Um, but it was because people gave pressure. It was because people pushed. And if we can have these same conversations around law enforcement, I do think San Francisco is setting itself up to be an example of how we can have better conversations with your Teslas, your Apples, all of these spaces that you can go and see where the money is and see that they are propping up and pushing a party that is actively attacking our community. Checking out the international fold, um, we're going to continue to break that heter heteronormative structure of our media syndicates. And for our international fold, we will not actually be centered in Ukraine. While the atrocities are still happening, and I challenge our listeners to um, check out Reuters, Associated Press, BBC, wherever your news media might be to stay up to date on what's happening in Ukraine. Um, we instead want to take a moment to lift up some stories from around the world that historically and currently are floating under the radar while they have a huge impact on our queer community. Back in March, the United Kingdom banned conversion therapy for gay and bisexual individuals in England and Wales, notably leaving out transgender folks. Um, due to this decision, however, Britain was forced to abandon its plans to host the Safe to Be Me conference in London that would have been held in June. Um, a lot of individuals are pushing back on the intentional um, exclusion of trans folks. Notably, a lawmaker in the Prime Minister's party, the Conservative Party, Jamie Wallace, said last week that they are planning to change their gender identity and become Britain's first openly transgendered uh, member of parliament, which they quoted as being a bitter disappointment um, that conversion, this decision on conversion therapy excluded individuals like him. In Romania, human rights groups have been pushing back since March on, or pushing since March for the lower house of their government to reject a bill that has passed their Senate that would ban the use of materials seen as promoting homo homosexuality and gender change in schools. In sports news, Blackpool's Jake Daniels, a forward for the football team, came out as gay this month, saying, it felt like it was time to tell my story. Since I've come out to my family, my club, and my teammates, that period of overthinking everything and then the stress it creates has gone. It was impacting my mental health. Now I am just confident and happy to be myself. He further goes on to say, I've been thinking for a long time about how I want to do it when I want to do it, um, I know now is the time. I'm ready to be myself, be free, be confident with all of it. Daniel cites the 21-year-old um, 21-year-old football player, Josh Cavallo, um, as his inspiration for coming out. Torrance, I know you have experience in the sports world and being queer in the sports world. Did this story impact you at all? Are there any comments that you have? Yes. Well, I guess just for starters, I was very happy to see um, that he came out. And this is a, this is a very big thing, I think, for um, football in Europe, specifically uh, the sport that you know dominates in, in over there and is is like having a very prominent football player, like an American football player, come out here. 
um that's that's kind of how big this would be for for the sports world um in england specifically but in europe and i think that it's really exciting and, and I, I also i was really appreciative that you know he did shout out um Daniel, uh, josh cavallo who had, had come out who plays in um australia i think if i'm correct or new zealand um in a, in, a, in a kind of a smaller lower league i think correct um and so doesn't didn't get as much coverage as maybe um daniels has um but to this point you know it's actually a point that i want to make about lgbtq plus acceptance in sports in general um and i've been thinking a lot about this over the past couple months um as i was working on something for de and i related to this that Sports, in essence, at its core, is about com competitiveness. It's about having the most skilled, most dynamic, most prepared, most well-trained, most conditioned team, right? Um, to be successful in every game, in every play. Um, and, and a lot of that just comes down um, to performance. It has nothing to do with who you are off, of, off, the, co off the court, off the field, um, off the track, whatever that may be. It has nothing to do who you love, who you marry, um, what music you listen to, what TV shows you like. It has nothing to do with that, correct? Right? I think if anyone, if we're having a really raw and important conversation about like sports at, at, at its core, of course, those things make you better. Your, your, your spirit, your health, your mental wellness makes you a better athlete, of course, like when, when those physical things don't carry through. But the point I want to make is if that is your goal, to have the most competitive, most well-trained, most dynamic, dynamic, most talented team, then why would it not be in the best interest of every sport and every coach and every professional in those industries and in those sports to be pushing for LGBTQ plus inclusivity um, and, and, and specifically sensitivity in the, in the, in the locker rooms um, if that's their end goal? And I, and I say this here because I was, you know, ended up, you know, being very successful as a cheerleader and going to college as a cheerleader, but like I played other sports growing up and I wasn't bad at those things, but they were spaces I didn't feel comfortable in. They were spaces that felt um, like they were not made for me. There were, you know, cultures and 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 dialogue in those spaces, like in males' locker rooms, that I couldn't identify with, that I felt oppressed by, because of course the use of the word gay and fag and et cetera in those spaces. And I just think about like how many really talented young LGBTQ plus athletes who could have made, who could have been the next LeBron, who could have been the next Michael, who could have, you know. Uh, been the next, you know, Serena Williams, who didn't feel welcome in those spaces and therefore didn't participate in those sports, and they were worse off for it, and so was the sport, correct? Right? And so, like, if you like, like, getting the best talent means having the most available candidates and being able to choose the best out of that pool of candidates. And when you completely create a culture that excludes LGBTQ plus people from wanting to be a part of those spaces at all, you have disadvantaged yourself. You have absolutely disadvantaged yourself. You can you can carry this over to like right like when like. It's ridiculous and it's become almost a negative thing in sports. But like, you know, when, when sports were segregated, like obviously look at our basketball teams, look at our football teams. They are mostly black now. Why? Because black people are very good at sports. They're very athletic people. And there was a lot to be, to be gained in those sports and on those teams by integrating and doing so. And think, and, and think about how an entire population of people were leaving out LGBTQ plus people from either being themselves and, and so they can't be out in the sport if they're in it and likely not thriving because their mental health is suffering, right, by doing so, or never enter or or try that sport because they don't feel safe in that space. I just think that if we're going to have an honest conversation about sports, like really at its core, about competitiveness, then we need to be having a conversation about creating inclusivity so that our pools of talent become larger and we actually get the best of the best. Who you sleep with, who you love, those things do not change your ability to compete at the highest levels. And we ought to start treating the conversation around LGBTQ plus acceptance in sports as such. Absolutely. Um, and as a feel good story, back in March, Chile's first gay couple wed um, as the same sex marriage law takes effect. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Dangerously Likely. Uh, so as we s talked about at the top of the episode, uh, this is our Pride episode. It's our first episode of Pride Month 2022. Um, and me and Terrell, your resident uh, queer folk here at Dangerously Likely, um, are independent of our great ally, Caleb, today um, in a really great, discu <laughs> <laughs> of a really great discussion um, around LGBT LGBTQ plus um, representation um, in sports and government in our country as a population um, and what we think like that representation 
means and why it matters and just to have a really open discussion about how it's impacted our lives um, as members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so to kick it off, I know that we have talked about this or we did talk about this story specifically um, when the polling data was released. I want to say that, that might have been February or March. Um, but you know, as of 2022, there is a record number of Gen Zers who identify as LGBTQ plus um, with a uh, total of 21% of them self-identifying as a member of the queer community, um, which is double that of millennials, which is roughly double that of Gen X, which is roughly double that of baby boomers. Um, you know, with the share with LGBTQ plus folks making up a total of 7.1% of the U.S. population. Um, and to get into the specifics, as I was just referencing, so millennials have make up 10% of millennials or 10.5% of millennials are LGBTQ plus, 4.2% of Gen Xers and 2.8% of baby, baby boomers. Um, I know that when we shared this story originally, we kind of talked about this, but I wanted to dive into it again for those who may have not listened to that episode or have joined Dangerously Likely um, at that point, that I think there are many factors that are contributing to this, right, Terrell? I think mainly we can point to a society and a culture that is more accepting, obviously, is going to open up doors for people to feel like they can be themselves more openly. Um, like, I don't think that there's this narrative that people are becoming more, like, people are just like, yeah, people are making this, like, stupid-ass argument, conservatives, et cetera, about it being trendy. Um, like, I don't know if you saw that just recently, Bill Mayer, uh, had had said that you know being LGBTQ plus is trendy and like that shit is so ignorant and so ridiculous because there's nothing trendy about you know having to live a life where you can exist in some spaces where you might be harmed and more harshly oppressed. So you know just for to clarify that yeah it might be seeming more trendy but there's still a lot of danger that comes with being a member of this community um, in this country especially with the more volatile hostile um, extremism of the right wing yeah. um, you know part of our country. Um, but also but I you think people would find it trendy to actually like men. Like I'm obviously saying this as a joke, but at the end of the day, it, <laughs> it is one of those things of we see what is happening in this country and it's all rooted in cishead men and their egos and their audacity. Like it's not a trendy thing to like someone of the same sex. It's not a trendy thing to want to put up with that crap. Like it really, truly, I just... I want to make a joke of it because of the inherent audacity of a white man to even think that. Well, like what's so it's like been, it actually truly eludes me how they come to this conclusion. It, it truly does because the only thing it, it's very simply answered or to kind of call out the idiocy of that statement just by asking, okay, well, Bill, um, you identify as straight. You may, I assume that means you do not find yourself attracted to men do you think you could just, you know, decide to have sex with a man because it's trendy and enjoy that and keep doing it? Like, I'm gay. I'm not attracted to women. I have no interest in having sex with women. I do not like, like, it's not something I want to do, would do. Like, it, it, like it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's, they, they, they say these statements, like, they themselves don't identify their sexual orientation identity as someone who is not at all attracted or interested in doing that and would never, could never, but then seem to think other people can just, like, I don't know, dismiss their heterosexuality because it's trendy it doesn't even make sense it's stupid like it is actually stupid if you have been if you identify as heterosexual up to this point in your life and truly have had no thoughts about you know same-sex attraction and now you are having those thoughts it's not because it's trendy it's because you're you're you are coming to a space either evolving you know because we are and we do and we change as we learn more things, but also you might be feeling more comfortable, more honest with yourself. You're exploring and finding new things. We we change. We are different people. If you're grown up in a, in a society that tells you you have to be one way and you never really break out of that box until you're an adult and you start thinking and exploring your own thoughts and feeling safe with them in a way that you haven't before, then yeah, some things like this might happen. You might find that you're attracted. Also, you know, like being a, like, I think it also often gets so washed over with this like large brush where it's like being attracted to to the same sex doesn't always mean like i'm attracted obviously just you're not attracted to every male you're not attracted to all it might be three you might find yourself attracted to three males your whole life which would, could make you bisexual could make you, like, like it's not a blanket thing and that's what's really frustrating there's no like again no nuance in the conversation and like i know you know a handful of people like i mentioned before when we've had these conversations like 
straight identifying males I knew growing up and knew in college that like now identify as bisexual who like very much didn't at all or ever even talked about or alluded to at the times when I was spending a lot of time with those people like you know as friends but it's because like they've come to a space where like they were able to download on their feelings on it and were able to process that and then start living their truth this is not some trend and it's bullshit um but you know what here's the thing at some point I'm gonna stop having to I'm, I'm gonna stop giving air to these baby boomers who make ridiculous statements that are completely um, rot of any facts. Since I'm sure if you have any more thoughts on that, since we have gotten into it before, I wanted to jump into uh, some, I think, good news and still just talks about the work that we need to do, um, that the LGBTQ plus Victory Institute, whose mission is to achieve and sustain global equality through leadership development, training, and con convening to increase the number, expand diversity, and ensure the success for LGBTQ plus elected and appointed officials at all levels of government, has reported that just over a thousand elected officials nationwide identify as openly LGBTQ plus, representing just 0.2% of people in elected positions. To achieve parity at 7.1% of the population, nearly 36,000 more LGBTQ plus people would need to be select, uh, elected to public office, according to data reported by the Institute. Um, I guess like what I will say is this, that we've come a long way, we've got a long way to go, right? Um, that in my life, it wasn't until just the recent years that any representation by LGBTQ plus people were seen in government um, at any notable level, right? So... I think it's really important to acknowledge those successes, to find joy in those success successes, since we certainly feel the despair when we aren't represented, you know, like, um, but that obviously this, our work is cut out for us. And it, it says to us as LGBTQ plus folks, like we, if we want to be represented, we may ourselves may need to make the decision to represent us and run for office. And, you know, this is a good plug for, you know, looking for run for something, an organization that works to help, um, you know, minority candidates, women candidates run for the first time with funding, with training, um, to get their campaigns off the ground. Um, but you know, certainly I mean, we talk about, I think both of us have ambitions in the future to, to serve in some capacity. And, and I just think that this is telling us that, you know, 36,000, that's a big number. So we're gonna have to get on it. We're gonna have to be having the conversation in our community, I think about, how do we start and maybe even strategically something like from glad or, or, you know, the, um, the human rights campaign, how do we strategically start trying to run for office to be more visible and representative in our government so that we can't have these, um, more of these heinous anti LGBTQ plus laws that are being written and passed in state legislatures across this country. What are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah I, this is a weird space too, for me, because, uh, in the work that I do currently, there's been a, a notable thought of what it's like to impress upon individuals to show up in certain spaces. And while I agree that it is important for representation to be in our government at the highest possible levels so that good sound policies can be pushed, we also have to be thoughtful that we are living in a very tumultuous and divisive time and putting that pressure on this specific community has only ever resulted in hurt and pain. So while I'm a hundred percent advocating for and, and saying the importance of being involved, being out and being involved in this space can, can lead to some form of harm and lifting up these numbers are so important to highlight the, the, good and happy side of it but i do think it's important for individuals stepping into the space or looking into this arena to be cognizant and thoughtful of the impact that it can have on them and even further on we just saw um the primary of madison cawthorn and it can't be ignored that his party thought well someone in his party thought that the most damaging evidence to his campaign was the idea that he could or could not be a part of the community by putting and alluding to his relationship with um, his assistant, by alluding to actions that he had with his cousin. Um, there's some real harm out there and there's some real, real grievances that I just further iterate we have a party that is actively trying to hinder and quiet these voices. And as it gets louder and as it 
becomes more of the narrative, I do have some concerns and some red lights of what the reaction could be. Well, so to that exact point, I, I want to introduce some data to the conversation here. So um, there's some pretty decent data over time um, from Gallup on LGBTQ plus acceptance um, in U.S. society, as well as um, support for for gay marriage over time. Um, and since Obergefell's um, decision in 2015, that support for um, legal same-sex marriage um, with the same rights as quote-unquote traditional marriages um, has only gone up. You know, in 2015, that was sitting at 55%, and now um, we're sitting at 70% support. And that's been the only time that has gone down was very interestingly right as the kind of grooming conversation was starting. It dipped a little bit and then went back up um, in that 2020, 21 year dipping from a, from a 67 to a 63 and now is then went back up to a 67 is now a 70. It looks like, so this polling, anyone can look it up on, on Gallup. Um, they have all of this available. They've been collecting this data since 1997. Um, um, and so we're sitting at 70% support for um, same-sex marriage at this point in 2021. And then they also asked the question over time, um, just general moral acceptability of gay relationships. So I think that that's just more asking the question, like, do you generally support? Um, but I think that adding the moral word in there is a very helpful piece when asking it. And and as of 2021, 69% of people believe that is morally acceptable and 30% believe it is, you know, morally unacceptable. So more or less matching the numbers that we see um, in support for gay marriage, which is interesting because those had been disparate uh, for quite some time. And I even, and I will ask you about this, like if we thought, like, do, do we think there's a difference between general support for people thinking that they get to love each other, or they should be able to be who they are, and this idea of their constitutional right to marry, right? Like, and and in, in the past, those have been inconsistent, where it showed that people were more actually accepting, which is which which was almost opposite of what you would expect that like some people like there was a variation in time at one point where people thought it was okay for people to be together but not to get married and then it almost switched that people were like well no it's okay for them to get married because i and and may have lesser feelings about the morality of the relationship itself but i i was talking to my mom about like do we think that this has something to do with like the people recognizing constitutional rights as something that are intertwined with one another in some ways that like you know if i have the right to this then why does that person have the right to that and if they don't get it then you know, who could be next, which seems like I'm giving, I'm being very generous to people who typically aren't making that nuanced <laughs> assessment of the situation. But I'm just curious, like what your thoughts about, you know, that data was. No, that's a really important data point, right? And there's also this theory that um, society, when something is either legalized or made plausible in society, you see that switch of, well, it's happening. So Nothing systematically has changed because of X happening. Everything's fine. Um, I think it's important that we. I think it's important that we always recognize the fact, though, that all of these um, spaces for queer folk have not been either codified through legislation or granted to us through our constitution. It's been a Supreme Court movement that has allowed for or opened the door for this level of acceptance. And that's where I do think the public support matters. If you don't have the public support on your side, when you get to the point that maybe a Supreme Court decides to change its mind, you need to know that the country and the people that aren't necessarily a part of the community, but are a part of your society will be on your side and will be advocating for and fighting for. No, this, this is a constitutional right. Whether you want to codify it or not, this matters and this is important. Um, because we the people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. I right? mean, like, if you really want to take those words, but... Uh, we I think know. we both know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because like that's the thing is like very interesting about the statement that you're making. It's like, well, we're sitting at a very precarious situation right now, right? Where we're waiting on a, a Supreme Court decision on, a, on abortion rights, where it is 
same exact numbers actually pretty much aggregate data is all showing you an average of 70% support um, for abortion rights in this country um, with a, the possibility of overturning that constitutional right um, on the horizon. And then literally to the point that we're talking about right now, the opinion that the leaked opinion um, has some very, you know, frightening and scary uh, allusions to what could come next, like Obergefell, because these are based on privacy um, just like interracial marriages, just like abortion rights are based in the right to privacy. Um, I think that we, you know, need to stay vigilant and stay, uh, keep our eyes peeled on this one, because I think that you're right. Like we're, we're, we're at a very, I know you, I just used the word precarious situation with the constitutional crisis, I think, um, given in that, you know, crisis. right. And have been probably, I think the argument can be made have been for, for at least no less than five to seven years, I would think yeah, I was at this point. Say. Um, as our as our legislative body who largely controls obviously both the purse but then our our laws and codifying mm -hmm. our rights, they are at odds constantly with what the support of Americans wants. And it's yeah. created a constitutional system that is fraught with lack of true representation. But um, yeah, I was gonna say that comes back to that point of representation in government too. Like while I might have while I might have advocated for and, and spoke to some of the inherent um, ills that we might face, it is important that we have representation, not only at a federal level, but truly at a state level. It is important for young children, members of the community to see themselves in their government because that's how they know that their government is functioning for them. And hearing that number is amazing to know that there are people doing the work and, and bearing that brunt. But I think back to the conversation we had about um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we have to be very vigilant that we aren't propping up a, an individual or one person as the savior. We're not allowing for, oh, we have six or 36,000 individuals who are representing us. That is good enough. Like we have to take on some extent and some recognition that it's on us all to to be in the space and to have these conversations. It's on us all to be our own version of, I'm just going to keep picking on Ruth Bader Ginsburg because it's easy. It's on us all to be our own Ruth Bader is Ginsburg. Is it really? <laughs> it is because she, she has become this icon that is now seeing the fallout of being an icon where People from a progressive base are saying, well, she should have retired sooner. We wouldn't be here putting this pressure on her because society has this tendency to not want right. to take ownership for its own. Right. And I think that's important in this representation. Space Someone else of, it has to be to blame. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like we as we as a, a people, we as a community, especially as we're going through this pride with legislation in multiple states that are attacking our trans youth, that are attacking our ability to be represented in media. Um, we have to be vigilant at this point that we need to be our own version of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and we need to be our own our own version of representation that we are advocating for and fighting for in any space that we are. It can be something as simple as um, correcting someone who's misgendered. It can be something as simple as just feeling comfortable saying your identities in a space to open up dialogue. Um, and that's what's missing in our federal government and our state governments is there is not that ability to have this level of dialogue because there are not enough queers in those spaces to force people to have this dialogue. And, you know, to that point, to wrap that part up is like, we really as, and I think we're getting there. And I think that it, uh, painfully so, I think we're getting there, but this not to be too existential, none of this government, society, uh, you know, civilizations, like they're all just for our either. I mean, their, their intention is to be for our benefit, right. To, to build a society that is conducive to, to the best standard of living or quality of life that we can provide. I guess that's what you'd think the ideal end goal would be. We know it's not entirely, but we have to recognize that like, this has always been meant to be work keeping a government, keeping a democracy, keeping a society and a civilization. And we just need to completely embody the fact that that's going to always be the case. We need to be up for the work. So to move on to a bit of a lighter note, 
um, and and certainly the some, some more the more positive pieces of today today's discussion on LGBTQ plus representation um, is is representation in media, um, whether it be television, film, um, music. And I wanted to share some some stats from the LGB, LGBTQ plus media advocacy group Glad. They reported this year a record twelve percent of characters on US TV. Um, there's a record 12% of character LGBTQ plus characters on US TV, up 2.8% from last year. Uh, the report examined broadcast TV, which is free, cable TV, which is paid for, and then streaming platforms, which of course are paid for. Um, for broadcast TV, TV specifically, out of 775 reg, uh, series regular characters on broadcast TV, 11.9% are LGBTQ plus, making up 92 characters with an additional 49 characters in reoccurring roles. Um, for streaming this year, they expanded this category, which previously only included Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu in their data, to also include Apple TV+, Disney+, HBO Max, Paramount+, and Peacock. Um, on these platforms, there were 358 LGBTQ+, regular and reoccurring characters, um, with representation of people from ethnic from ethnic minorities or LGBTQ plus folks from ethnic minorities increasing to 49%, um, which I think is is certainly what we would like to see. So these are these are the positive takeaways um, specific to our trans brothers and sisters. Streaming also beat out cable and broadcast with its representation of trans characters portraying um, 26 trans, char trans characters, which is triple that of broadcast and cable. Um, in total, there were 42 regular and recurring transgender characters across all three platforms being broadcast, cable, and streaming, um, up from 29 last year. So definitely the number is lower than we'd like it to, to be, obviously, at 42 in total, but it's up from 29 last year. So 42 um, up from 29. That's, I think, one year difference in content and representation that marginally that 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 certainly means something. And we're happy to see it. And we hope to continue to see that upward trend. Um, and I... and kind of an, an allusion to the previous conversation we parody doesn't need to be the goal you know we have we have lived in a world where that has been dominated by you know white cis hetero culture specifically white cis hetero men representing the the experience of americans for over a hundred years you know for for several hundred years in government and media and you know that, that wasn't just that nothing was done about that, you know, for, for several hundred years. So I certainly don't think that we need to make any apologies by trying to achieve representation in these spaces that is above parity um, with our our population's share um, of the population. I hope that wasn't confusing. That was kind of weirdly worded. I apologize. I try. Um, so I just want go ahead. I was just going to leap on that, too. I think the representation piece is really important, but... Um... I'm trying to say this without giving anything away. So I have to process for two seconds. This won't give anything away. Um, it's also important that inside the representation, platforms recognize their their space and ability here, right? So Grey's Anatomy just had its season finale. Um, Torrance and I were talking about this off air. But in the season finale, they addressed it was a side plot and this isn't giving away anything for our listeners they addressed the blood shortage and there was there was a very intentional way to highlight the fact that gay men are not allowed to donate blood um, because of this antiquated discriminatory and just awful rule that was put in place to combat combat hiv important to know for our listeners Anytime you donate blood, your blood is also tested for any um, diseases that it might carry. And if it is found to have any of them, your blood would be tossed out. So there are already safeguards in place for um, queer men to donate. But one of the doctors had a whole moment and it, it was a great thing. Um, I think that's something important to bring into the space, though, is there's so many issues that are directly impacting our community today. We've highlighted them on so many shows but there's also these lower issues that we've as a society just accepted to be it of this, the red cross, um, not accepting blood from a male who has had safe sex with another male in the last three months. Um, it's important in media to carry and have those things, I think. And while representation is important, if you have a space to start having those conversations and can publicize it to over a million people, that has a huge impact too. And for the shows that might not have a person of the community 
as a part of the cast rather than tokenizing them and just throwing them on to join this bandwagon, having those messages can have just as much of an impact. Right. And, and, and to that exact point that like using the platform to say something, to have something to say, and often that's not like needing to have a political stance. And, 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 and I don't say that to think that we can live a life void of politics because we can't, I believe that pretty much everything we do is entangled in politics in some way. Um, but that by telling true authentic stories like that, that are just simply true about society through the lens of people who experience that is a way for us to make very honest, genuine, true statements about the world we live in, which is one of the most powerful things that we get to do in storytelling with TV and film is, is reflect the world, all of its problems, all of its joys and, and allow for a dialogue and conversation to occur, you know, around that. And, you know, the, the blood, blood donation, laws that discriminate against um lgbtq plus folks specifically men who have sex with men um is disgusting and ridiculous at a time when people are losing their life because we don't have enough um blood supply and and you know it's interesting that you know i'm happy that you brought up to clarify for people that don't know which i i don't know how you would make an assumption otherwise uh, that all blood is tested before it is given to someone who needs it like because of course, what are you living your life thinking that they just, yeah, oh, you're straight, we trust you, you must be fine. Especially at a time uh, in 2021, which is to the point of the, the, the you know, lifting this ban, um, that in a year when we just reported that uh, heterosexual men have, have surpassed uh, gay and bisexual men in, in, in new HIV um, diagnosis in, in the past year for the first time, because that is a culture that is not held accountable for its sexual activities, that does not have a that not has a culture and practice of getting tested, of having safe sex, that who their biggest concern is pregnancy, um, when when that's not obviously always the case. So it's there's a lot to be discussed there, but I I think that TV is our is a often our medium to have hard conversations, to call it hypocrisy, um, and hopefully to start changing the hearts and minds of people to mobilize a movement that brings about change. Absolutely. And again, I think to to the representation piece, there has to be a thoughtfulness to not tokenize. <laughs> I I still find it infuriating watching shows and then a non-binary character is just introduced and and pushed to be the focal point of the show when there was no build up to why this character was introduced or how they fit in. Um, I mean we we all relish in euphoria but they did have that tendency to not develop their characters in a way that allowed for them to really truly tell a full story or be able to give better insights to the community it was just a here they are um, or here's trauma because that's the only way we can talk about queer folks is through trauma so highlighting this is amazing and i, I appreciate the the growth and representation and the intentionality for some of our bigger producers to start thinking about this, but there still needs to be an accountability that those characters are getting their, their justice and, and our community is getting its fair shake to be seen. Right. And we said that, you know, and that one of the most important points we wanted to make about that and is the way that you go about doing that is by telling genuine, diverse LGBTQ plus stories, not one note stories, not all about tragedy, not all all just about happiness, but about that reflects the world around us, just like straight people. Our lives are complex. We have good days. We have bad days. We have joys. We have hurt. We have pain. We make mistakes. We're imperfect. That is humanity. That's what all we're asking for is to be represented for the humanity that we that we are and that we bring to the world. Um, on that note, you know, I, I wanted to kind of shout out to TV shows that are coming up um, that I am really, I mean, obviously I can't speak to them because I haven't watched them yet, but I'm really looking forward to them. Um, one being, being uh, the highly anticipated Queer as Folk reboot on Peacock um, that premieres on June 9th that we just recently got the uh, trailer for. It has a beautifully diverse cast. It's, you know, been transplanted to take place in New Orleans. Um, the trailer reflects, you know, the, the storyline kicking off around this, you know, group of the gay community in NOLA after a shooting at Babylon, the gay, the gay club that these characters all frequent um, and the kind of the aftermath of dealing with that in amongst their own queer identities. Um, I am looking forward to that. The trailer was 
jarring because you could tell that it was it was sharing this joy, but this very real fear, this very real tragedy that occurs that isn't HIV, right? That is the way the world sees us and affects us. And obviously in, in the light of the shooting this past week, like, you know, we live in a country where it, it doesn't matter if you're a kid, it doesn't matter if you're gay, it doesn't matter if you're black, that like in this country, the fear of, of dying in a mass shooting is something that is now just a part of the fabric of American society, which is deeply painful to say. But to not say that would be a complete lie, would be a complete lie. It is a uniquely American tragedy. Um, but, you know, I think that, uh, there's some really awesome talent in the new in the Queer as Folk reboot. I will be checking it out on June 9th, probably talking about it on the show after I watch it. So if you want to you know, join on that, everyone, please uh, tune in. And then also um, another example of some very diverse representation um, hitting the screen is Tom Swift on The CW, um, it, which is a, kind of it's a little bit of a spinoff from The CW show Nancy Drew. But Tom Swift is this young, like, um, tech genius superhero kind of guy but he's not like got any like powers but he's like this like at like you know able athletic attractive gay black man who is also this tech genius you know hero um and i am looking for more of that and so tuning that that prefers on may 31st uh which is tomorrow um so tune in if you're interested what are you watching what are you listening to anything you want to shout out terrell i really want to latch on to that point that you made to for any producers listening to the pod, um, when talking about this community, you need to break the binary. There can't be this assertion or assumption that it's black and white or you have to own the gray. And I think no further than Harry Styles, who just released his new album, which was phenomenal. Um, but media outlets are desperately trying to understand him and put him into a camp or a space that they feel is socially acceptable. Um, when I think of any of my favorite shows that I've watched, it's been because they gave that wealth and depth to say, yeah, there is a gray area. There are people who don't fit into one of our pigeonholes and we need to allow for them to have that experience, but also calling out those who aren't um, Kalani, who is a, amazing artist was recently on a talk show and um, they identify as non-binary their interviewer intentionally you she had conversations about um, just very devaluing of her experience and her being non-binary and it's all of those pieces that um, when I listen to music when I watch television I'm more impressed by yeah, I think that like you know, just kind of kind of at the core of all of this discussion, especially especially um, when we're talking about media, is again not to overuse the word, but it is the best path forward with anything, which is just honesty and truth and genuine representation. Um, and that you know, get to make a point on it is, does not always mean that the character is always going to have the most deep things to say. We mm -hmm. are fun. We are frivolous some days. We are you know silly we you know we are we are all things and i think that that's what we that's just what we're asking for is to see all things um on on screen to tell our story and we'll be back after this welcome back to dangerously likely so, I know I haven't been here for the rest of the episode, but I get the absolute pleasure of introducing voices from the LGBTQIA community and some voices that give perspective on how to be a good ally. To me, being an ally of this community is showing up to support your LGBTQIA friends and family. It's about actively identifying and challenging previously held notions and negative stereotypes that people you know may express or may have expressed. And it's about fighting the good fight against oppressive leaders, institutions, and policies such as the Don't Say Gay bill that Florida has recently passed. Lastly, representation matters. It's supporting candidates for any government office that are part of the community and or support policies that make America a better, more free place for the LGBTQIA community to express their true selves is supporting an America that accepts everyone for who they are and stands up against hate. Because to me, 
Being an ally is not just about accepting the community. It's also about actively standing up to hate and working towards a world full of love in which everyone can fully live, no matter how they identify. On this pride, it's vital that we hear these voices to give us a perspective about what it is like to be part of the LGBTQIA plus community right now and how we can continue working towards that better future. So without further ado, here they are. Hello, my name is Andrea Kappa and I'm answering why is it important that there's queer representation in government, in media, and in, and in entertainment. Um, I think it's important because there's people like that in real life here in the community, um, in any class, lower, middle, or upper, and it's important that we're all represented. We're at a year, 2022, where we should be able to watch TV or watch the news and see people like us in positions of, of power. Not only that, is that if we have these people in position of power, maybe we won't be losing our rights or even be able to get our rights as human beings. I grew up as a brown lesbian in a white, predominantly white community, and I never saw my representation. I remember being a gymnast at 1986 Olympics. Dominique Dawes was the only person of color. Uh, that I looked up to because she looked like me. And luckily I did have that, but a lot of people don't anymore. And I feel like we've regressed a lot in the representation of everybody. And I'm not just saying being queer, but every representation of every person of color, of every community, of every income bracket, of absolutely everything, because that is what we are made of. Uh, we're a uh, world a commu- uh, world a country a state a city a town made of many different people and that representation should show in places of power and celebrity status and things like that my name is jen and i am torrance's mom being an lgbtq plus ally to me is to show my love support and pride in my son and all who identify within the LGBTQ plus community, including my older brother. It's grown ever more important to me in the past several years because I had always thought I was an ally until I realized that accepting people for who they are and who they love is not the same as being an ally. Being an ally truly means to show and speak of your support and pride. I learned this difference when my son came out to me and it didn't go the way it should have gone, nor did it go the way I wanted it to go, and I will always regret that. Now I try to show my allyship and all my love and pride for my son in every way that I can. Outside of my relationship with my son and my brother, I also want my allyship to be known within my professional life. The company I work for has actually won awards multiple years in a row for being a great place to work for LGBTQ employees. And we have a great diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative and policies to ensure that all employees feel happy and comfortable in an environment where they can thrive and are valued, accepted, and appreciated for who they are and the work they do. I am a member of multiple business resource groups at work, including the Equality Alliance BRG, and I have learned so much more about allyship in every aspect of our lives. I have added my pronouns to my work email signature to show my allyship in a quiet yet valuable way. I best understood the value of this when one of my customers responded to my email thanking me for having put my pronouns in my signature. It is something minor, but noticeable, especially to those who feel that this small thing has big importance. All right, to answer your first question, what does good queer representation look like? Um, I think that it's, I think a great example uh, is um, is the TV show United States of Terra. Um, there's a queer character, but he, 
his sexuality and his coming out story is really not part of the story. He just happens to be queer. Um, and I remember being like 18 years old and finding that to be really, really cool um, because the only other queer representation I had seen up to that point were things like Brokeback Mountain, where the entire drama of the story was driven by uh, their sexuality. Um, and to answer your second question, why is it important to have queer representation? I think obviously um, that kind of ties really well with what I what I had just said. It, it reminds people that queer people are complete and um, complex people, and they're not just their sexuality. So having queer, you know, people in government, having queer athletes, having whatever, um, just reminds people that queerness is um, is an all is not an all encompassing thing. Rather, um, and to answer your third question, what does pride mean? Uh, I think in its best sense, it's a celebration of, of community um, and not of individuals. But the idea that there is this community of people who have um, found something to be proud of and, um, and, and are not living in fear, I think that that's not necessarily true um, anymore. I think there's a lot of hyper-individualism in pride uh, through you know, corporate sponsorships and whatnot, but, um, but ideally um, it should be about community. Hi, my name is John. I'm a gay man speaking on behalf of what pride means for me. When I think about pride, I tend to think about the things that make me proud of the community that we live in. Proud of our allies who have stood by our side to show us support. Proud of the people who have paved the ways to give us the freedoms that we are able to embrace today. And third and most importantly, proud of the community that we live in. I think it is so important to understand that we may all be a part of the same community, but our backgrounds, coming out journeys, and timelines all look different. The journey we all partake in is what makes us who we are, and as a member of the community, it is being proud of those differences. They are what make us unique and beautiful, and I am proud to be a part of such a loving community that is able to embrace all of those differences. Queer representation is important to me because I feel like queer people and especially black queer people have not um, seen ourselves. Like we've existed for so long, like since the beginning of time. And we only realized that until we like, I don't know, like reach a certain age of maturity. Like I feel like I feel like we should, we should have already, like when we were little kids, we should have already known that there were queer people and that it was okay to be queer. But I feel like for many of us, and I feel like especially with like, don't say gay in Florida, that whole situation, like it's trying to erase history and it's trying to give children like very narrow limited views of like how to live their lives and I just I don't know so that's what I think that's why I think queer representation is important and I also think in addition to queer representation there has to be action around that representation okay that's my that's my thoughts Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes and drop a like or rating as you wish. So because this episode has been a little bit different, um, there was a tweet that I came across that I kind of want to do a joint tangent with you, Torrance, about. Yes, please. This creator says, Pride Month starts in three days. Pride isn't, isn't brought to you by T-Mobile and Absolute Vodka. It was brought to you by drag queens, trans women throwing bricks, by lesbian and queer women taking care of gay men dying of AIDS in the face of an international government neglect. Let's hear your tangent. The through line that I'd like to draw on this is what I've been saying all episode the truth right these com- these corporations have in in the past and and of course the growth and change is good 
Mm-hmm. But acknowledging that it requires acknowledging that as you do grow and change, and these companies that that either have or still do continue to oppress LGBTQ plus populations, discriminate them in the workplace, champion organizations and or or politicians and support them monetarily that that advocate and vote and pass legislation that is harmful to our community. That you nothing about pride was brought from you. The other thing brought from you is the, the continuation of an evil cycle of capitalism that is willing to make money on the backs of anything, even things it doesn't support. Um, I am, I will, I will be honest. Obviously, there are several organizations. I think, namely, the one that pops to mind for me right now is that Disney, who who put the release that they this year worked exclusively with queer, um, queer creators for all of their merch, mm-hmm. and that every single penny of their um, profits from those things will be going to LGBTQ plus um, organizations identified by LGBTQ plus members of the Disney organization. Um, but to back to the point of the tweet, corporate pride is bullshit. And I would say that it is it is our responsibility to call it out, to push back on it, to hold organizations and, and corporations responsible, to tell them to put their money where their mouth is because they do otherwise. What about you? How am I supposed to add to that? Um, Yeah, I mean, this comes back to even what we were talking about around societal support. If if it's true that roughly 70% of individuals support the queer community and support them having a right to live their lives and exist, then there has to be an intentionality from, there should be a, intentionality from corporate industry to not just see June as the one month that they say, Oh, we care. It's not, it's, it should never be like that. It's the same when it comes to black history month in February. If you are truly considering or thoughtful of your consumers, every day should be a representation that you care about your consumer. Um, So as we're going to see all of the lovely Instagram and Facebook and Twitter icons change. I mean, we're going to change ours too, more than likely. Um, There needs to be an accountability for these corporations to make sure they're putting their money where their mouth is, where we might change our logo to be emblematic and thoughtful of pride. Um, We're also having these conversations. We're lifting up, granted it's you and I right now, but we're lifting up queer voices. We're highlighting opportunities for people to be engaged in the queer community Companies cannot continue to support an extremist party that is actively targeting the community and then post a pride flag and say like, ah, but we still love you. Your money does matter in this space, especially coming from the Supreme Court that just continuously says that money is a form of freedom of speech. So however you use it is your form of speech. If you're donating money to Ted Cruz, if you're donating money to Mitch McConnell, you are inherently anti-queer and you are actively causing harm on the queer community. So save your stupid little happy Pride Month posts, save your one historical fact about Stonewall, and really have an intentional conversation in your organization about whether or not um, it's worth your time, or if you even care. And one point that I'll just add on that to, to cap it off is that, to your original point, if you had nothing to say in February and March and April, when Florida was passing a highly discriminatory, discriminatory don't say gay bill, then I don't want to hear anything from you during June. Period. And that's been our show. I'm Torrance Witherspoon. I'm Terrell Couch. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week.